Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. When I'd get home from school, it was, you know, WGN was turned on and the Cubs were playing. Uh, you know, really good family friends of Mark Pryor. So, you know, with him, when I was in high school, I would always throw with him and work out with him. So and I know he was the, uh, the big staple here. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, it was it was pretty fun to get a text message from him, uh, the, you know, a couple days ago with, you know, congratulating to, you know, really enjoy Chicago because he said he had great memories and, and, you know, what the city is all about. That's the voice of Cole Hamels, newest addition to the Chicago Cubs roster. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner, Joe Ostrowski with you for another hour. And right now, it's time to go out to the Score Hotline, where we're joined by Mac Angle, columnist for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Wrote a very thoughtful piece on Cole Hamels a couple days ago. You can follow him on Twitter at MacAngleProf, and you can hear him right now on Hit and Run. Good morning, Mac. Thanks for your time. Uh, good morning very much. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I do appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. Uh, you have been watching Cole Hamels for the last couple of years. Tell us uh, at this point, what do you think Cole Hamels has left? I think he has more than what his overall numbers reflect. And if you look at his overall numbers, the last thing you probably want is that guy on your team. <laughs> but given his track record, given his professionalism, given his stuff, given his delivery, I'm not going to bet against Cole Hamels necessarily in a postseason game. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to do what he did with the Phillies uh, seven or eight years ago when he was the World Series MVP, and he was a guy, as a bona fide left-handed ace, you could give the ball and say, okay, let's just go watch him do what he wants to do. That guy's gone. And he, but in his place, is still a really good veteran pitcher. I think if, if you're sort of dissecting this, and I don't want to get too much in analytics because I hate them, but I think if you look at his home and away splits from this season, you'll see there's still a good pitcher there. Now, at home, he was awful. His ERA was 641 in 10 games. Uh, he, was, he was bad, gave up 16 home runs. He wasn't very good. But on the road, in, in the same number of starts, 10, his ERA was 293. Uh, virtually the same number of innings pitched, uh, gave up nine fewer home runs. He was a much, much better pitcher. So, you know, if you have to take those things kind of into consideration. I'm sure the Cubs did. It's not like some Theo Epstein's an idiot and he just sort of did this on a whim. And look where they're, look where Cole Hamels is going to be in that rotation. They're not ask, Chicago's not asking Cole Hamels what the Rangers were asking from Cole Hamels back in 2016 when they traded for him or pardon me, 2015, when they traded and they gave up five prospects to get him from Philly. They needed him to be a bona fide ace, and he was. He was really good, and he was really good for about two and a half years. But the team's terrible. He's been around a long time. I think he's bored, and I, I wrote that. I think yeah. just, you know he's a professional and he's trying, but I think he's bored. You put him in a big game like the Cubs are playing, you put him in a big series maybe against Milwaukee or Washington or the Phillies again or whoever, I think you will see – more shades of that picture that everybody in the National League was accustomed to in Philadelphia than what we here in Texas saw this season. Mac, what's interesting is all of a sudden Wrigley with the big video boards now when the wind is blowing in, it's one of the best pitcher's parks, and he's coming from one of the best hitter's parks in all of baseball. The Cubs are just looking for six innings and just basically a quality start. Can he give you a quality start most times out? That's what they're looking for. Yeah, I think I think just because the standard of the students for starting pitchers just continually go down, you know, it's not about innings anymore. It's about pitch counts. 
It used to be, you know, can you go seven innings or six and two-thirds? Well, no one's doing that now. Now it's about can you get to 100 pitchers or 98 pitchers and still be effective? Yeah, I think he can do that. Uh, I'd put money on him to do that. Um, so I think when you evaluate him, you have to put him in the right context, and you have to put him in the context of where he is now. And I'm going to bet on him. He's, he's such a good pro. He reminds me so much of Tom Glavin um, at so many points in Glavin's career, even now. And I think if you put him in a big scenario, a big pitcher is going to show up. Not the pitcher when he was 28 years old or 26 years old, but still a really good one. Listen, if he can tie his shoes right now and take the ball without falling off the mound, he's better than most of the Cubs' rotation. So that's that's all. That all sounds like a positive. Oh, man. I mean, look. I mean, guys, look at the way pitching is now, especially starting pitchers. Like, can you go every fifth day? Yeah, I can. Are you going to be any good? Well, slow down there, Jack. <laughs> what are our expectations here? And the problem is the contract that he signed was massive. There's no way he was ever going to live up to that deal, and he didn't. Texas took on a lot of that salary to get him from Philly. They're going to have to take on even more of that salary to get rid of him and send him to Chicago. And now it's just about durability. Can you go five decent innings? I think Cole Hamels can do that. I keep coming. He's in the National League. That's a better. Obviously, that's better for pitchers, even though he's in Chicago, which is you know we all know Wrigley's not exactly great for pitchers, but he's a smart guy. He knows how to locate stuff. I'm just not going to bet against him. As long as you don't ask him to go be number one in that, and, and expect him to do what he did seven or eight years ago. That, that part of it, I, if you're asking him to do that, forget it. The, uh, the wind usually blows in quite a bit in September and October, so that's going to benefit him, Mac. But when you look at the number of home runs he's given up and without diving too deep into the analytics, is there something that points to why that was occurring? Well, I mean, think about where he was pitching. At home, at the ballpark in Texas, which is a hitter's park. I mean, a hitter's park. He gave up 16 and 59 innings. That's a lot. Now, again, he's pitching on a bad team. And that, now that, a home run's a home run. It doesn't matter, you know, obviously, if you're a good team or a bad team, but a home run's a home run. It's, it's a totally valid point, but he's pitching in a, in a home run park. You put him on the road, 55 and a third, and give up seven home runs. You can live with It's not great. You can live with that ratio. The other one, you can't. And that's why he was. That's one of the reasons why he was so bad at home. For crying out loud, he had a 6.41 ERA at home in 10 starts, and he had a 2.93 ERA 10 starts away from home. I mean, the, the, everything was virtually opposite home and away. And granted, it's not necessarily like say going to. I, I don't even know where the best pitchers' park is these days in the National League, but Wrigley, ain't San Francisco. I guess. There you go, San Francisco. That's a good one. Dodger, it's Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium. He ain't going yeah. to L.A., which is, you know, everybody wants to go there if you're a pitcher. But he is going to, at least he's going to the National League where you've got a couple of outs to work with, whereas in the American League, it's just harder. I, I think everybody's concerned about the home run thing. It's totally valid. But I just think if you if you really evaluate him and look at his road starts, like, yeah, it's still there. I mean, at home in Texas, you're like, oh, my God, get this, get this guy out of here. I, I just keep coming back to one thing. The guy's such a pro. I mean, he's not you know warm and cuddly, but he's such a pro. He's so smart. I think people in Chicago are really going to like him. Mac, right now, Cubs fans are listening, screaming. We heard the same thing about Chatwood. Look at him away from Coors Field, and look what the the problem is with Chatwood is his control in all the walks this year. How is his control, and how do you expect him to work with Contreras? It's a good question because I, I but I. I Veterans like that, a guy who's been around, and look, the guy's been in the big league since he was about 22 years old. And at some point, you know, all the innings, uh, that, that, that does obviously take a toll. 
But there's also a tremendous amount of benefit there. Cole Hamels is probably going to call his own game. If, if I'm a catcher, if I'm a veteran, and I look at Cole Hamels' resume, I'm like, okay, dude, you kind of tell me what we're doing here a little bit. Now, in terms of scouting reports and knowing hitters and things like that, that's a little bit different. There's going to be some familiarity. I mean, he's been out of the National League, even though there's obviously a lot of crossover now more than ever before with interleague play and things like that. But I think with I think the one part of Cole Hamels that you have to look at and sort of evaluate is that what's he going to be like now that you put him in a, in a relevant game? Cubs are in first. They've got some people breathing down their neck. They're probably going to go to the postseason. What's, what is that going to do to his game? I think it's going to help him in terms of dealing with Contreras. You, know, you hear these other stories about guys working with the catchers and things like that. I'm, the veteran is going to know what to do. The veteran, always, the veteran always knows what to do. He knows how to call it. He knows how to get along with guys. He's not a difficult guy at, at all. I mean, he's such a smart guy. Um, and he's a really good guy, too. I, I just think in this case, all the concerns are valid, especially when you talk about you know, the guy coming from Colorado or whatever else. Even the U Darvish one, of all the things I looked at the Cubs did, I'm like, are you crazy? But I was never a <laughs> Darvish guy. No, I really, I thought it was absolutely insane and asinine when they did that with Darvish. I'm like, Theo, you may be a genius, but you look pretty damn stupid right now because that guy's going to burn you. In Game 7 in World Series last year, if somebody says, Mac, you've got to give the ball to either Cole Hamels or you, Darvish, I'm like, I'm giving it to Cole Hamels, and I'm giving it to him. Even if his arm has fallen off, I would rather give it to him just because you, Darvish, is a great pitcher with good stuff, and you put him in that situation, he has proven time and again. It was just, it was just too big for him. Situation's not going to be too big for Cole Hamels. Question is, in that situation, is can his arm sort of do what he wants to do? And you just never know about that. I'm not going to bet against that guy, though. I'm just, I'm not going to bet against him yet. He's Mac Engel. He's a columnist for the Fort Worth Star Telegram, and you can follow him on Twitter at Mac Engel Prof. Strong words on you, Darvish. You knew then that when he went to the Dodgers and wound up in big situations, and he did pitch. Good games in the division series and the league championship series, including one against the Cubs, but was awful in the World Series. The Astros said they got him tipping his pitches. We believe that to be Carlos Beltran, who who saw that. Um, but you knew he was going to fail in the World Series. How'd you know that? Because uh, I'm a genius, and you know it's, <laughs> I need to quit running from that. You know, it's enough. Enough is enough. I'm old enough where I can come out. I'm man enough to admit when I'm be right. who you are, uh, Mac. It's important right. to be who you are. <laughs> and uh, like I, for example, am an idiot, and I accept that, and I'm okay <laughs> with that. You are a genius, and you should accept that. Because when it came to you, Darvish, just he's a, he's a really good guy. He's a good pro. It's not like he's mailing it in or tanking it, and maybe he was tipping his pitches. Uh, I, I just always consistently saw. When the moment was giant, and that's hard. I don't think people appreciate, even though these guys are great athletes and big leaguers, man, they're scared. You find a lot of these guys are scared to death, whatever it is. Even, no matter how much confidence they have, they are scared. And I just kind of got the impression sometimes he just got a little spooked. And, and you look at that game, specifically game seven against Houston. He was horrendous. I mean, if they, if they had just thought, okay, we're not, let's put in Clayton Kershaw and let him go four on short rest. That's an entirely different game because Clayton Kershaw came in and did what a lock, lock the door. You know, you're not doing anything on me Ace is supposed to do when he came in in relief. But by that time, the game was gone. Darvish had already been kicked around in the first inning. Was he tipping pitches? I don't know. I hear that. I'm not, I don't think Carlos Beltran is lying necessarily, but 
bottom line is the really good ones. Well, they don't do that in those games. They just don't. Kershaw is one of them. Um, and, you know, Kershaw had his moments in the postseason where he wasn't exactly great. But, boy, when he was good, you couldn't hit him. And Darvish was supposed to be – and he had that stuff, has that stuff. But sometimes there's a mental makeup to it that doesn't always line up. You know, on the walk-up, you guys had the clip of Cole Hamels talking about Mark Pryor. Mark Pryor had stuff that was absolutely electric. And Cubs fans remember when that ball came out of his hand, it was incredible what, what it could do. And he had the mental makeup to, to, to do it as well. Unfortunately, it blew out his arm, so it never really lasted as long as it should have, which happens. But with Cole Hamels, I never got the sense that Cole Hamels was ever scared of the moment. And for you, Darvish, for some reason or another, it just never all lined up when it should have. And maybe when it came to, comes to you, Darvish, or a lot of these pitchers who are coming over from Japan, maybe the, the bottom line is we're, we're not seeing the best of their ability here in the United States, but rather the, the Japanese league's teams are, or at least they were. Otani is an exception because he's so young. But I always wondered that about you. He's a terrific pitcher. His stuff is great. I just don't want him in as a number one. As a three or four, yeah, sign me up. Maybe even as a two. But consistently, I just saw too many times, I'm like, I don't trust him in that game. I trust him. I don't trust him in that game. And that was the problem. It, it's interesting because if they get to the postseason, Joe Madden and Theo Epstein might have that same call. Do we go with Darvish or do we go with Hamels at, at this point? Do you think Darvish has too many pitches? Uh, it's a great question. It's kind of like going to a restaurant and they give you a menu and it has, we've got 75 items. You're like, wow, they all suck. And then you go to the restaurant that has 10 items. You're like, wow, this is really good. I'm always wary of the guy who says, man, I throw 33 pitches. Well, just give me three. Just give me a fastball you can locate. You know, the other day somebody puts on Twitter Greg Maddox's uh, complete game shutout when he threw 76 pitches. 76 pitches. Hell, you're seeing relievers who are doing that in two innings now. <laughs> you don't have to do all this crap. If you just locate it, they can't hit it. But granted, the game was different then. You know, exit velocity and all this other crap that's really crowded the game and all that other stuff. But if you can locate it, give me that. Just give me the guy who can locate it. Move it. Make the guy honest. Make him think. Do that. I know it's easier said than done. It's what made Greg Maddox Greg Maddox. But if I have to go, guys, Cubs fans, you want to be scared to death, go back and look at the box scores from the Texas Rangers uh, American League Division Series against the Toronto Blue Jays in 2016. Cole Hamels was your number one. You Darvish was your number two. The Rangers had the best record in the American League that season, and they had bona fide one and two. Number one, Cole Hamels is terrible in game one. Blue Jays win game one. You Darvish follows that up with a nice batting practice session in game two, gives up a bunch of home runs. Blue Jays go up 2-0. They, they sweep the series. The Rangers' 98-win team is flushed down the toilet. And that was with Hamels and Darvish. Now those are two of your starters in Chicago. I know I'm not giving you a lot of confidence here, but if I, I, I keep coming back to one thing. If I've got to trust one of them, if I have to trust one of them because he's done it before, even though his stuff isn't as electric, I'm trusting Cole Hamels. I'm not going to trust you, Darvish, just yet. I hope you're okay with the fact that 24 people just jump, jumped off of buildings in downtown Chicago. <laughs> I, hope that you've, Go. I hope that you're okay I, with that. Um, hey, look, I grew up in the Midwest. Okay, I was that WGN guy who watched the Cubs. I grew up in Indianapolis. We don't have a pro team, so he would either watch the Cubs or Reds. So I watched GN. 
And I was with the Harry Carey, Ryan Sandberg, Sean Dunson every year, every year. Man, next year, you got to see the potential of this team. Andre Dawson, great, 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 great. I suffered through watching that crap, and I never did quite figure it out. I'm like, why does everybody love this crappy team? I don't get it. And I went to Wrigley, then I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, okay, I, that, that makes sense to me. But if I'm a Cub fan, especially one of any youth at all, I'm like, what are you complaining about? You had 10 decades of the most laughably embarrassing team ever built. This is great. You're relevant. You're winning division series. You're winning. You won a World Series. What are you complaining about? So if you just got you Darvish and he stinks, who cares? You still won a World Series. You know what I mean? I mean, think about all the generations of Cubs fans who can't even say that. Back some Sundays, I say, okay, all that, they have the best record in the National League. They have all these issues. They have one starting pitcher named John Lester in the rotation, and they still have the best record in the National League. Their starters are going uh, four and two thirds just about every other day, and and they're still they're gonna, they're gonna they have a spin of the wheel every single year for the next I don't know while with this core they've built. Take it, take it, embrace it, enjoy it. Because when it's gone, I mean, look how long it took Houston to get back. Look at the Kansas City Royals. Now, granted, the Cubs have more money than the government. So that does change things. And they have a really smart guy running things. I mean, his, his track record is proven of building and adding. Lester, other guys, now Cole Hamels. I didn't like the Darvish deal, but who cares? It's one move. They can flush their mistakes. I, I just look at Chicago right now. Is You're in that window. And you look at Texas right now, Texas is garbage. Garbage. And, you know, we here as Ranger fans, we had that window for a couple of years where they were going to World Series and they were relevant, and that's great. Well, it's gone. And that was fun. So when you've got it, you better embrace it because when it's gone, and it's gone. Mac, the uh, the U Darvish that at times was so good, so good, literally unhittable. Uh, what's the difference between that guy and the guy that pitches a- a- as you believe he will pitch if he's healthy enough to pitch in the postseason for the Cubs? What is the difference? I think some of it's age. Um, you know, guys, as you get those hard throwers, um, especially guys who throw those breaking pitches, those hard, hard slider breaking pitches, it's pretty much proven it'll take a toll on your arm. He's a big guy, and he's a well-conditioned guy. We're not talking about David Wells here or something. This is a big, or Kurt Schilling even, this is a big conditioned athlete who takes good care of himself and trains and prepares. But I do think ultimately if you're going to rely on those kind of pitches and you're throwing at you know, 80%, 90% on most of your pitches, it just, it just adds up. You talk about Greg Maddox earlier, and one of the reasons Maddox lasted for as long as he did, and a lot of those pitchers of those generations did, Oral Hershiser, they knew when to dial it back. And you could throw pitches at 75, 80, 90, you know, 75, 65% and get away with it and then sort of elongate uh, how long you were on the mound. So that's, that was one component, just a small component in terms of the way we see pitchers go these days. The part with Darvish, and I think the other thing too, is Darvish has been beat up. I mean, you're talking about, hey, we've only got starters going four and two-thirds. I think that's pretty much across baseball. That's not just endemic to the Cubs. I think that's just a baseball thing now. And, and granted, I'm not crazy about it. I, I think it's crazy a little bit, but it's it's a trend, and eventually things will change and we'll you know go back to a different cycle. The thing with Darvish is that you're talking about a guy who was, I don't want to say fragile, but maybe not completely brick-solid as – his foundation and his stuff says he should be. And then you put him in a game, game seven of the World Series at home in maybe the nicest pitcher's park in the game, and he gets crushed. 
I'm sorry, I don't know how that doesn't have a little bit of an effect on you. Now, I'm not talking this is like the Mitch Williams home run when he was at the Phillies and he gave it up to Joe Carter. I'm not talking these are like this is like some reliever who gets beaten up and then he's got to get out of town to sort of go, you know, re- rebuild his career. But I do think in the case of you, Darvish, there was no way the Dodgers could, re- could have re-signed him after that. No way, even though I know that's – I think he would have liked to have stayed there. The Rangers looked at him hard but they had to get him at a right number, and that number wasn't going to change. So now you go to Chicago, great team, phenomenal town. Um, you know, So you've got all these pluses, but now you've got to put him in that situation where if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm like, uh, yeah, we're expecting you, Darvish, the, the guy who was pretty good with the L.A. Dodgers in the stretch run, not that guy who went out and pooped his pants in Game 7 of the World Series. And I think all those things just kind of add up. And, and – and, you know, I keep coming back, get older, you just get older. But, man, when he's right, when his stuff is going right, God, is he fun to watch because nobody can hit him. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reminded of a month ago, I don't know if you saw this story, when the Cubs were at the Dodgers and he returned to Dodger Stadium for the first time. And there, there were multiple stories from the L.A. Times that week coming out. And you're talking about him between the years. He admitted to hiding out in a dugout because he didn't want the fans to see him now, to, to see the Dodgers fans to see him, how he was going to be received over there. Well, I, I think he's being honest. I, I think, you know, and the Rangers talked about this, and I think sometimes we as sports fans and sports media don't put enough of an emphasis on the human element to playing and to living, right? I mean, so when he came over from Japan, he didn't know the language. Uh, he didn't know the culture. He didn't know the game. That's hard. And, and you're talking about living, you're moving from Japan, and now you're coming to the United States and living in Arlington, Texas, or I think you lived in Dallas. But there's an adjustment there. And, and, our, and our fallback is sports media and sports. Ah, that's an excuse. Go out there and kick ass. We pay you all this money. Go do it. Okay, well, it sounds great. But it can be harder than it looks. And I think the problem for you is I think that's kind of just that's who he is. doesn't make him a bad person. doesn't even really make him a bad pitcher. But I think as a professional in dealing with the realities of the job, because it is a job, there are parts of it you're like, dude, man, sorry, brother, you got to deal with this. If you want this, and that's, I keep coming back to one point, I think there's a lot of elements to this that these guys want. Yeah, do I want to be the number one? Yeah, because I'm going to pay me $22 million a year. I'm going to be famous, and I pitch every fifth day. I'm gonna, you know, It's going to be great. Okay, well, here, here's some things that have come with that job. Yeah, I don't know if I want to deal with that. Well, sorry, brother, here it is. You signed the contract, so knock it out of the park. And I just don't know if those realities of the job fit him. Some guys can do it. I think Cole Hamels can do it, quite frankly. Not everybody can. I mean, if everybody could, everybody would do it. I think John Lester can. I think John Lester's pretty badass. Oh, yeah. uh, some other guys can do it. But not everyone can. And I just look with you, Darby. If he's hiding, well, that, that says a lot. And again, it doesn't mean that he's you know drowning puppies for fun, but it just tells you that there are certain elements to the job, the pressure of the job, the expectation to deliver that comes with that job and that money. I just don't know if it fit him. And if you don't think that that affects him when he goes out there and pitches, I think we're crazy. Matt, great stuff. Really fun talking to you. I hope you will allow us to call on you again sometime. I wish you would. I have one quick question for you. Yes. Uh, first time caller, long time listener <laughs> yeah. of the score. Yeah. How are the mighty Chicago Bears and specifically the quarterback, uh, Mitch Trubisky, going to do this season in 2018? 
Gotta go, Mac. We're out of time. Uh, <laughs> thanks for everything, and uh, we we hope you'll uh, allow us to do this again. Guys, I appreciate it. Uh, he, thanks. He's thanks, Mac, Mac. He's Mac Angle. You can follow him on Twitter at Mac Angle Prof. Fort Worth Star Telegram columnist. Obviously, with some uh, really strong thoughts Ooh. on you, Darvish. We'll react to that, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll get to some of the other things that he talked about involving Cole Hamels. I want to thank him for mentioning Joe Carter and the home run that uh, cost me dearly. It's killing you. And uh, and uh, something that he said about Maddox as well. I want to revisit the uh, something from the Hall of Fame, and we have Cubs and White Sox things to do. Lots to do. And only 35 more minutes to do it. This hour is brought to you by Four Winds Casino. You've got hit and run on the score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Joe has had his moments. Two balls and two strikes on him. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Joe Ostrowski, Barry Rosner with you for another half hour. That highlight courtesy of the worst beat of all time. Just watching that whole series, I mean, that series was torture. They go out, they win their division by a million. Then they face the Braves as a huge underdog. They take down the Braves, did the 93 Phillies, who I had at 40-1 to to win the World Series. You know, I used, to doubt, up, I used they, to doubt you about seeing that every week, but I see it every yeah. week. No, it's, I mean, you can't miss it. Yeah. You can't miss it. And it's one of the great postseason home runs of all time, so you're, it's, it's hard to miss. But the series was torture. The games were insane. Nobody could get anyone out. Schilling's the only one who could get anybody out in that series. Mitch Williams certainly couldn't get anybody out. And, yeah, <laughs> that's a, it's just so hard to watch, and I—, and I find myself back in that place with that sick feeling in my stomach every time I see it. What time do you think Mac Engel's coming on tomorrow? <laughs> Someone will do it. You know, it's just so rare. There's so much phony in in radio. I mean, it's just, just so much phony. People don't say what they think anymore. And there's so little journalism taking place. Here's a journalist who just says what he thinks. It is so refreshing. Some and thoughts it, on that for a sec. Go ahead. <laughs> you can dislike it if you want, what he says about Darvish. But he said There were he, some people that disliked well, it, sure which, they, which means he's he's on it. Well, I mean, he's he has, he has observed the man close up for several years, and that's what he believes. This hour of Hit and Run is brought to you by Northwestern Football. The Wildcats have the best home schedule in the nation this fall, hosting Michigan, Notre Dame, and more at Ryan Field. Season and single-game tickets are on sale now at NUSports.com. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Campland RV. Enjoy sizzling summer savings going on now for select RVs at Campland RV. Visit the lot or check out CamplandRV.com for great deals. 
Just a short drive on I-94 in Burns Harbor, Indiana. Camp Land RV, RV buying made easy. When we were talking about the Hall of Fame before, I said there was always that in-season Hall of Fame game. I don't know when they stopped doing it. But the uh, the year that the Cubs did it, I think they did it a couple of times. In between trips, probably like in between Montreal and New York or something like that on an off day, whatever. But as a beat guy, there's no way I was doing that. There's no way I was I was taking an off day to go do that when they were only there for an hour or two or three and then getting out of town. So, no, I never saw it. But if you haven't been to Cooperstown, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, Mac referenced the 77-pitch Maddox game, which uh, there was the, a re- the, the anniversary was last Sunday. Yeah, but it was the it was the twenty first. So I'm not sure why people celebrate was, anything. Okay, you know, they'll tweet anything. Right. Hey, it's the anniversary. Of I this. mean, you you know, because I've talked about it yeah. on this show in the past. Last that, year we did a big thing on it. This this particular Cubs team was really bad in '97. It was uh, the first game of a doubleheader at Wrigley Field. Braves Cubs. Braves beat the Cubs four one in two hours seven minutes. And the story, as I remember it, uh, from talking to Brian McRae or Mark Grace, was that Maddox had so thoroughly dominated the Cubs over the you know since he left after the '92 season that they they decided on this day they were just going to swing early in the count and see what happened, see if they could you know move up on the plate to try to take away some of his break on the changeup. And that they would swing early in the count. And it took Maddox all of about two batters to figure that out. And <laughs> so that's how that day went. Um, Greg Maddox, 77 pitches. One earned run on five hits, six strikeouts. Of course, no walks. And, uh, yeah, it was a nice tidy, it's a nice tidy 207. I'd look at the second game, but I don't want to relive any of it. So I'm not going to. Because, uh, you know, I was a beat guy. Nothing uh, nothing there I want to remind. Hey, Ray, Ryan Baruki starts for the Blue Jays today on the south side. He is a 2012 Mundelein High School graduate. And uh, Joe Aguilar of the Daily Herald wrote a nice piece about him. He was a huge Mark Burley fan, White Sox fan, growing up. Wears 56 because of Burley. He's also a lefty, of course. He's had four quality starts and five outings. The one I, I actually, the one I saw was against the Red Sox. He did not fare well in that one. But uh, kid's got a chance. He's got some good stuff. A two-seamer, um, a change-up that is effective, and, and last year found a slider that's really worked for him. So we'll see how that goes for him today. His dad is Ray Baruki. Ray Baruki was Ryan Sandberg's roommate in Spartanburg in 1979 and his best man. Hmm. And so, of course, I, uh, I know they were very close friends. Ryan, certainly named for Ryan, would be my assumption. I haven't seen Ray for a long time. Ray met us at a book signing in 1995, I want to say, maybe Marshall Fields in Northbrook, something along those lines. Might be the last time I saw him. He's has sent me emails from time to time over the years. I'm sure they are on their way to the game uh, or uh, or at the game. But on that team was Sandberg and Ray Baruki. George Bell was on that 79 Spartanburg team, as was Mark Davis, who 10 years later would win a Cy Young for San Diego as a closer. Hmm. But uh, that's Ryan Baruki. He starts 
today on the South Side. Some family connection to Shep. Shep, text me if you're. Uh, it's his cousin. It's his cousin. Yes, yeah, some Not people were texting cousin-in-law. Yeah, cousin-in-law. Oh, cousin. Oh, it's his, oh, it's his wife's cousin. Yes. Okay, I was going to say because Shep is from like Dubuque, Iowa, or something, right? Keokuk or something. Coal City, I believe. Same thing. Farm. He's a farmer. He milked cows when he was a child. I think he still does in the off season. Well, Shep has an off season, but um, I I would assume that uh, that's his his wife's cousin. Oh, let's also pass this along that the White Sox made a trade this morning. The they acquired Caleb Frere, I believe. It's a left-handed relief pitcher. He was in Double A, recently promoted to Triple A, and the White Sox sent the Yankees one point five million dollars in international signing bonus money. He had an 0.62 ERA at Double A, so then they bumped him up to Triple A recently. All right, Joe, we got to take a break. When we come back, it's our final segment. Lots to clean up. Lots of Cubs and White Sox. Stan in Bellwood is on hold. Wants to talk some Hall of Fame. I love talking about the Hall of Fame. We'll do that. We'll finish up with our Cubs and White Sox conversations. I've got a couple. Oh, Nationals, we need to address if they should be trading on Tuesday. I People oh. thought me rather insane when I brought that up about three weeks ago. Talk that, about it. That they might have to be sellers. And should they be sellers? We'll talk about that as well. Get to the Cubs and White Sox conversations and your phone calls. Several of you on hold. We'll do that next on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Joe Ostrowski, Barry Rosner with you for a final segment. Coming up next, it's Herb Lawrence and Brendan McCaffrey. And then it's Jay Zawoski following them. Then it's Cubs baseball tonight, Sunday night baseball. Wait, Jay Solo? Well, that's what the schedule says that's in front of me here. I can't uh, confirm or deny. can only read. Eli just tweeted the picture of you with the old guy that hates you. he's Solo. Is that big a deal? I made it. I'm just double-checking. Has he ever done a solo show on a Sunday? management comes in and bothers the show. Come on in. Let's, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I have nothing to say. You're going to find out for four hours. <laughs> Brennan McCaffrey says, yes, Jay Zawoski is solo. Well, you can talk about the Hawks. It's uh, convention weekend. We still don't know whether Corey Crawford's going to be Don't know anything. the start of camp. He was asked and he would not answer. That picture, by the way, you, Barry, just staring at Corey Crawford was tremendous. Yeah, I don't know which one of us looked stranger, me or... Uh, or Corey Crawford. In any, in, in any case, there's, there's also a picture of um, of Ray Baruki and Ryan Sandberg from a very readable book that I tweeted out uh, a couple days ago. Eli will find that and tweet that. Um, so in the Braves-Dodgers game last night, uh, is it Joe Simpson? Is that his name? Joe Simpson. Yeah, I don't know if Analyst. We have, I don't know if we have time to play the whole thing. There's really uh, – how long is it, Eli? About a minute 30. We could do it. Uh, I don't even want to play it. Suffice it to say that Simpson was mad that some Dodgers players were out in batting practice in T-shirts and and pants that were pulled up above their knees. And so, he's calling out Chase Utley a lot. So they were like, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, choked on my coffee. They were essentially wearing like capris and T-shirts. Okay, so whatever. Uh, they made a big deal out of it. They're apparently offended by that or at least Simpson was as a former Dodger himself. I heard it. I, I didn't really understand it. I don't know why it matters. 
I don't think it's a big deal that they did it. I don't think it's a big deal that he's mad about it, but I think it will become a big deal because we live in a time of hot takes. Simpson will absolutely be skewered for it, for having an opinion, because he said what he thinks. You are not allowed to have one anymore if you disagree with groupthink, and the groupthink will be that this is completely okay. I happen to think it's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. No, 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 uh, no, no. But, but the the story is that he he messed it up. He went forward and, and said that because he didn't know the true story. The shirts they were wearing were K-Cancer. That's why he's going to get roasted. But he obviously, I, I would think, think he did not know that. Uh, it didn't, no, he didn't, he didn't say that. So he obviously didn't know. I think he'll just be roasted because he's, you know, it, it makes him sound old and ignorant and uh, unwilling to be open to new ideas and... Anyone who has an opinion that that is different from whatever today's group think is will be skewered for it. So that will be that will be a hot take for sure. Um, <laughs> Eli, you want to give us your your White Sox minor league? I can't wait till you guys talk about it tomorrow. You're doing the show. Uh, I'm on with Dan tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know if Dan will care about that. I I have no idea. Um, what is well, your, Rick Campbell uh, play it? What's that? Rick Campbell play it. Well, it's uh, if it becomes a thing. I guess if you play it, you make it a thing. Um, Eli, what's your, what do you have for minor league report this week? On that note, Barry, uh, in AAA, Eli Jimenez over the last 10 games, batting 436 with four home runs and eight RBI, had a nice diving catch yesterday in left field, too. So I guess the OPS, though, slipping under 1.10. Uh, <laughs> slipping under 1100? Exactly, is Rick Hahn's reasoning for not checking all the boxes. Oh, stop Eli Jimenez it. to come up stop to the it. major Seven leagues. Seven is more than six. That's all. That's groupthink, though, Barry. I'm not going to join I, that I would love to, think. I know. I know he can't. Whatever. What? Whatever the stupid rules. I would just wish somebody would say it. We all know what it is. Seven is more than six. That's all. It is. Over to double A. Uh, the best start of the week by far for any White Sox prospect. Dylan Cease on Wednesday. Seven innings pitched. One hit. No one runs. 12 strikeouts. Just one walk. A 2-8-3 ERA and five double A starts. Also had a nice changeup in a 3-2 count to end the fifth inning with a strikeout. Had, again, those those career high twelve strikeouts, and here's what he had to say about the improvement with his off speed pitches. Like night and day compared to even earlier this year, I must have thrown eighty percent of my off speed for strikes. So I'm feeling really good with it. Taking the hump out of my curveball and throwing a slider, that's been a good pitch for me. So I mean, really just commanding my fastball and throwing my off speed well. My kind of go to uh, adjustments that I do, where from the get go, I'm thinking hand on the target, land, and uh, try to keep it simple because my body knows what to do. It's just doing it, really. Another pitcher in double-A for the White Sox, Alec Hansen, pitched on Monday. Four innings pitched, one hit allowed, but this is a crazy stat line. So that one hit allowed, nine walks, seven strikeouts, and those two earned runs. So 15 walks over his last two games, given up. How many pitches in that game over four innings? I didn't. I didn't get the pitch. It must have been a lot with all those walks, right? And, and exactly, only pitched four, and then has a nine point one seven uh, walks per nine innings pitch. So over one walk per inning. All right. Not well, great. I mean, he had an injury to start the year, which certainly set him back. So, um, all right. And then, last but not least, the two pitchers acquired in the Joaquin Soria deal from the Milwaukee Brewers. Cody Medros, the 2014 first-round pick reporting to Birmingham, has a 3-4-1 ERA and 15 double-A starts with Milwaukee and then Wilbur Perez to the Dominican Summer League. Thank you, Eli, for the minor league report. Want to squeeze in a quick call, Joe? It's Stan in Bellwood. Good morning, Stan. How you doing? I'm doing good, Barry. How about yourself? All is well. 
All right. Hey, uh, I was glued uh, to the radio, uh, as I usually am, uh, earlier when you were uh, talking about the Hall of Fame earlier. Uh, you were going over uh, some of the players that, uh, you know, didn't get 100% of the vote and uh, curious about, uh, you know, what the voters were thinking, uh, you know, why they don't vote, uh, why some of the guys uh, don't vote for uh, Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Jackie Robinson or Greg Maddox. I would add to that uh, that um, uh, Joe DiMaggio and Yogi Berra didn't even get into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. So there must have been some serious Yankee hating uh, going on back then in the uh, 50s and 60s, too. Uh, you know, if you're talking about peculiarities with, with the uh, with the voting. But you told me something I didn't know um, earlier uh, when you mentioned that there was controversy uh, about Ernie Banks, whether or not uh, he would have whether or not the, at, at the time the announcement came out, whether or not he was uh, going to get in or not. Uh, I didn't know that. I, I, I don't remember that. And um, I, I know he did go in on the first ballot, but I, I can't imagine that there would have been any controversy about that because he is a guy who uh, revolutionized the, the position. Uh, you know, I would think that uh, – the the voters wouldn't have wouldn't have been scratching their heads at all about the whether or not he was deserving. So I, I was just wondering um, why, uh, it, how where'd you hear that? Stan, thanks for the call. I remember hearing about it at the time. Uh, I remember reading about it that it was it was questionable as to whether Ernie Banks was going to get in. And again, at the time. Uh, excluding the inaugural class of Cobb, Wagner, Ruth, Matheson, and Walter Johnson, there was only Jackie Robinson, Bob Feller, Ted Williams, Stan Musial, Sandy Koufax, Warren Spahn, and Mickey Mantle over that, what, 40-some years. And none between the inaugural class in 36 and 1962 when Robinson and Feller went in on the first ballot. So there was question as to whether Ernie Banks was actually going to get in on the first ballot, which sounds absurd, of course. But the percentages, they just, I mean, you have to, you, you have to laugh, Joe, when you, when you see some of the, the percentages of some of the great players in the history of the game. Um, I'm happy that well, a lot of the names were removed that haven't covered baseball in a very, very long time. Um, Willie Mays, but yeah, there's Willie, still some things that need to change. Willie Mays omitted on 23 ballots. He got 94% of the vote. 23 ballots. The best player in the history of baseball. Omitted on 23 ballots. I mean, how could you make your case? You have to make your case against Willie Mays. I mean, what would you like to, what, what would you like to see happen? Everybody's public? I, th- I think most of them... Think, are of, aren't they all most, available? Because it I, comes out all the time. Yeah, I don't know if a hundred percent are are public now. I think a lot a lot of them are posted on the website, the BBWAA yes. website, and then there's a guy who tracks them. You can follow his Twitter account. He tracks all the Hall of Fame votes and and has a spreadsheet that shows you, yeah. you know, where it's going. I've seen that. Um, although that is often inaccurate because there's a lot of people who don't disclose who clearly are not are not going with the group. So when you see bonds, yeah. when you see bonds at 80% a week before the, the ballot is revealed, uh, you know that that number is wrong. 
But, uh, yeah, I'm, I think it should be disclosed. I think everybody should disclose it. I think that should be a prerequisite for voting. Um, not to shame, but to at least, you know, explain. Um, normally, what you're doing is you're making a case for the guy that you're voting for. But in some of these cases, I'd like to hear the case against Ken Griffey, right. who was omitted on three. Against Maddox, who was omitted on 16. Against Johnny Bench, the greatest catcher of all time, who was omitted on 16. Against uh, Babe Ruth, who was omitted on, what did I say, 11? 11 ballots? Bob Feller, omitted on 10. I'd like to I'd like to hear the case. I just um, Willie Mays. Willie Mays didn't get 23 votes and Hank Aaron didn't get nine. For my money, the two best players in the history of baseball. I mean, explain it. You got to. I mean, if you're just saying I don't vote for guys on the first ballot, I just don't do it. I will not do it because nobody's that good. Nobody deserves it. We're going to give your vote to somebody else then. I mean, that's just this is a waste. You're either. Now, if you said. I know Griffey's getting in, and I still want to vote for 10 guys, and there's there's somebody else on there that I want to vote for who otherwise isn't going to get my vote. You know what? Okay. I'll buy that. Okay. I'll buy that as an argument, but I don't know that I've heard that. Not sure that I've heard that. But but in the end, you should use your vote as your way to voice, hey, these are the t- – if it's 10 or whatever it is, these, these are the guys, are the guys, guys I be- These are the guys I believe in. Um, so Jim Tomey goes in. There's a lot of excitement here in Chicago. Do you think it's merited around Chicago, given that he played four years here? Or do you think it's more because he's a Peoria guy? I mean, he played 13 years in Cleveland, four in Philly, four in Chicago before assorted time with Minnesota, L.A. and Baltimore. He did have uh, an awfully good White Sox career, hitting 134 home runs in four years. Uh a couple of those years, really good. And he was dealt at the end of the fourth, right? Right, yeah. right correct. To, to uh, I think that was to the Dodgers. So, I mean, his first year here, 2006, when it looked like the the, the White Sox were going to walk to the playoffs again, 42-109 and 109 with a, an OPS plus of uh, 155 and a, <laughs> an OPS of over 1,000. Yeah, uh, when, when I hear Jim Tomey, I... I think of the Phillies and I think of the Indians, but obviously the Indians a lot more, especially with those young teams he was on. He was with the White Sox from when he was 35 to 38 years old, and it was great. He had some milestones here. The 500th was here um, in a walk-off fashion. But, yeah, I I think part of the reason that Sox fans hold on to him, and they should – He's a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. He's played for your team. And is he's still involved in your organization? And like many players, loves, loves, loves Jerry Reinsdorf. And and you can't find anybody that will say anything negative about the guy. You can't. Well, he's just about the nicest guy you'll ever meet. I mean, truly, he's just about the nicest guy you could ever meet. Polite, sincere. When he talks to you, Joe, yeah, he looks you in the eye. Think about that. How many people do he's that? Not on the phone. Or? He he. You no, know, he looks you in the eye. And he takes a genuine interest in you. And when he asks you about your kids or your family or your life or your job, you sense that he really cares. Does he really? I don't know, but you sure feel it when you're in a room with him. And that is very unusual today. There's not a lot of people with his manners and with his sincerity. Um, take that for what it's worth. Here's what I think of when I 
when I hear Jim Tomey. The only time I went to spring training as a kid, we went as a family to Disney World. Uh, my, me and my dad took a couple days. We went over to spring training in Florida. Braves were training in Orlando at the time, I believe. We went and saw, maybe it was Braves, but the, the teams that I wanted to see, Yeah, I went and got a bunch of autographs from the 1992 Indians and the 1992 Astros. Nice. I, I'm going to go in my basement and see you if I can find- dig those up because I've got Bagwell, Biggio, Tomei, Albert Bell, Carlos Baerga, Sandy Alomar, all those. The Washington Nationals are six games out and seventh in the wild card, five games back. I don't know, Joe. I don't know what exactly they're going to do, but I, I think they ought to consider dumping this season and getting what they can. What if Tuesday, Bryce Harper... Is traded to the Yankees. Well, wow. I mean, the Yankees, you have 59 games now to make up five and a half. They might be in this wild card. Wow. It's time for thank yous. We're out of time. Thanks, Eli Hershkovich. Great job producing, as always. Thanks to our guests, Mac Angle and Bruce Levine. Thanks for calling. Thanks for texting. Most of all, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you spending some of your Sunday with us. Stay tuned now for Herb Lawrence and Brendan McCaffrey. Don't forget tonight, it's the Cubs pregame show starring Zach Saban. And featuring Joe Madden, Jim Hickey, Len Casper, and Ron Coomer. And then it's Cubs baseball with Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer right here on your radio home of the Chicago Cubs. Sunday night baseball with Kyle Hendricks and John Gant. Have a great rest of your Sunday, everybody. I carpool with McGowan to the ballpark in the morning. McGowan, are you kidding me? Wow. Holy Moses. How about that for a sec? So long, everybody. This tourist is it short. Tommy waits for the 3 2. Here it is. A swing and a high fly ball left center field. He's going to join the 500 club. Tommy's hit his 500. 23rd player, Jim Tommy, goes deep the other way. Socks win 9 7. Light it up. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.